Thanks, Pete. Um, g'day, everyone. I'm Ben, one of the ministers here. Stay in Colossians 4. Uh, it's what we're going to think about in our final week in this series called Heart, The Heartbeat of All Saints. Uh, it's a hot weekend. Uh, as you can see, I made a drastic decision yesterday on a hot Saturday afternoon. Um, but given it's a hot evening, the first 60 people outside into the courtyard get an ice cream after church. So hang around, come and grab an ice cream outside after church. Let's pray and we'll jump into the Bible together. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in Jesus so that we might overflow with hope by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask that you would do this for us tonight, for Jesus' sake. Amen. The hope that our world needs is found in Jesus alone. We are totally convinced that that's true. It doesn't take any imagination whatsoever to see that we live in a very anxious world, in a very disconnected age. Uh, you might feel yourself, or at least you can see around you, there are weary people and they need rest. There are disconnected people who need a family. There are people who feel, or maybe they really are, failures and they need forgiveness. There are people who are anxious and they need peace. There are people who are downcast in their souls and they need joy. There are people who are wandering who need to find the way. There are people who are uncertain who need to know the truth. There are people who are lost and who are dying who need the life that only Jesus brings. We need Jesus. We need Jesus, the friend of sinners. We need Jesus, the good shepherd. We need Jesus, the suffering servant, our living Lord, who is the only way, the only truth, the only life. He is the only hope for us and for our world. Uh, there are hundreds of thousands of people just in the inner west of Sydney. Uh, I say to people, you can throw a rock from here and hit 15 to 20,000 people. Uh, when I say 15 to 20,000 people, uh, this is the geographical area that I'm talking about. You go one kilometre that way to Parramatta Road, one kilometre that way to Office Works, one kilometre that way to Marrickville Park, one kilometre that way to 7-Eleven, in there. 15 to 20,000 people. In that population, 50% of the people have never been married and only 30% of people are married. In that kind of geographical area, there is 20-something percent who are 25 to 34 years old and 47-plus percent of people in that geographical area are university-educated. It's an even split of people whose parents were born here in Australia or overseas. 
around 49% say they have no religion and about 7% say they're Anglican. About 50% of those people are renting and paying a pretty decent rent. As we look at all those people, I think our hearts should break. When Jesus arrived in Jerusalem and he looked out at the city, he saw people who were lost. He said, they're harassed, they're helpless, they're hopeless. But for him. And he wept. He wept over these people and then he went and died on the cross for them. And what I want us to have as a church is a heartbeat that beats in tune with his. That looks at the 15 to 20,000 people that we can hit with a rock from here or the 300,000 in the inner west or the 5 million in Sydney and we weep for those who are lost, who are helpless, who are without hope, without God in the world, and apart from Jesus, are facing an eternity cut off from life and love and everything that is good. We want our church to be full of people whose heart beat in tune with Jesus, whose hearts break for the lost, and whose hearts are moved in compassion, not only to meet people's needs, but to bring them the hope of Jesus, which is the only hope for a lost and a dying and a wandering and a hopeless world. We've been saying in this series, we want our heartbeat to be loving Jesus above everything else because of who He is. Loving God's Word as the way in which we know God and are matured in our faith in Him. Loving God's people because Jesus' church, His body in the world, His bride, is His eternal project that He is building a permanent and eternal people who belong to Him forever. And it's here in the church, in this weird, wonderful group of people, that Jesus is building a people who would belong to him, but also who would shine the light of his love into the world and speak the word of life in the gospel to the people who are around us who are like sheep without a shepherd, who are harassed and helpless, who are anxious and disconnected, who need, like we do, the only hope that's found in Jesus. And so as we come to think about loving God's world, you can think of that in all kinds of ways. We're thinking about it in terms of the people around us who need Jesus. God's world are the people outside these four walls who are inside that kind of geographical area, that 15 to 20,000 people, the people in your networks, your neighbours, your colleagues, your friends who need Jesus. And if our hearts beat in tune with His, then we will be in gospel partnership together 
in gospel prayer and we will be gospeling people. That is, we will be speaking the good news of Jesus, the amazing announcement that he is Lord and Saviour. We will be speaking it out of the overflow of our hearts. We will be speaking, pointing people to Jesus, the sovereign and the sufficient and the supreme Lord that he is. So that's how I want us to think about loving God's world tonight from Colossians chapter 4. Uh, Pete read verses 2 to 6, but the passage finishes from 7 to 18, if you're looking at it, uh, with a whole list of names and the people that Paul is partnering with in his mission to make disciples of all nations. And I love that Paul finishes so many of his letters, we even saw a glimpse of it in 1 Thessalonians, uh, of his partnership with other people whom he calls co-workers in the gospel. And I just love that because Paul is like, you know, Mr. Apostle, he's the one who met the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus, he's the one who was sent to to bring the gospel to the non-Jewish world, he's the one that wrote most of the New Testament, he had so much charisma and competence, he had this amazing calling on his life and conviction in the gospel and yet he was not a solo missionary, he needed other people. And unless you think that your competence and your charisma and your conviction is somehow better than Paul's, anyone want to own up to that? No, I didn't think so. Right? It's a reminder that we're all in partnership together, that we don't do the Christian life as a solo sport, that we're connected to other people, we need them, we need the people around us to be built up in love and in service of Jesus and in partnership together seeking as a whole, as well as individuals, to be overflowing with hope to our neighbours. And so he talks about people like Tychicus, his fellow servant, who's coming back to Colossian, to Colossi, to the Colossian church, to encourage them with other people like Onesimus. If you read the book of Philemon, you know all about him, he's the runaway slave who's now become a Christian and is coming back as a brother in Christ to this church in Colossae. It's this amazing motley crew of people built together. Paul's there with two gospel writers, Mark and Dr. Luke. Power team, right? He's there with Jesus, who sensibly is called Justice, so people don't get confused. They're co-workers, Paul says. For the kingdom of God. And so I want us to be encouraged by this picture of partnership and you've got Epaphras who is one of them, who's a servant of Christ, who's always wrestling in prayer. Ben, how do we partner together? What does it mean that we partner together in, in the gospel? Well, here's an example, wrestling in prayer for the people around you, for the people in your growth group, for the people that you talk to on Sunday. Are you wrestling in prayer for them, longing that they would stand firm in all the will of God, that they would be mature and fully assured, mature in Christ, fully assured of His love? What a great way to partner together. I don't know what else it means, but it means we wrestle in prayer. Let's do that. We should be greatly encouraged. And then we get this warning 
if we want to hold loosely to Jesus and tightly to the world, if we hold loosely to the church and tightly to the things around us, we get this great kind of warning in the person of Demas. He's with Paul, he sends his greetings and then in Paul's very last letter that he ever writes as an old man in 2 Timothy, what does he say? Demas is gone. He's ditched Paul. He's ditched Jesus. Why? He was too in love with the world. It's where we're challenged to be in the world and not of the world. So if partnership's going to look like anything, it's going to look like wrestling in prayer that we would be fully mature, assured of Jesus' love, so that we can then partner together for the work of the gospel. What else does that look like? Verses 2 to 6. It's a great summary of these verses. It's always stuck in my head. We need to speak to God about people and we need to speak to people about God. That's what we need to do. So, gospel prayer, speaking to God about people. For gospeling people, because we want to speak to people about God. There's lots of speaking and people and God in those sentences, aren't there? But let's go. Speak to God about people. It's gospel prayer, verses 2 to 4. Look there again with me. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. Oh, smash in the face already. Don't you read that and just go, oh, I don't know that that word describes my prayer life devoted it's a descriptor of prayer it's definitely not the descriptor i would give of my prayer life to my shame the need for me to repent of and and grow in but if you looked at my the time i spent on my phone or watching rubbish on tv or good things on tv Doom scrolling, YouTube wormholes. Can you really stand before Jesus and say, sorry, I didn't have enough time to pray? Doubt it. Big challenge, straight up, devote yourselves to prayer. Because it's not a waste of time. Because it's not pointless. But devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful, and thankful and pray for us too paul says that god may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of christ for which i'm in chains chains pray that i may proclaim it clearly as i should devote yourselves to prayer knowing that god longs to hear the prayers of his people and he loves to answer them in accordance with his will so here's the thing Often we treat prayer and God like we treat vending machines. Okay, I need to pray for this because I need this and so if I put the money in and press the buttons in the right order, God will give it to me. When I was about eight or nine, I went with a friend to his dad's work for the day. We rode our bikes around and it was kind of fun but we kind of felt ripped off. It felt a bit like a boring Saturday until we realised that the vending machine was on the deck outside the cafeteria and the deck had cracks in it 
and we thought in our eight and nine brains, for sure people are dropping coins down there all the time. So we spent like two hours crawling in the filth under the deck, pulled out $34 and spent another hour washing $34 in coins in the sink before presenting them at McDonald's to the chagrin of the McDonald's lady and we said, give us all those cheeseburgers, please. But that's the thing, right? The, the, the vending machine view of prayer is possibly why we don't devote ourselves to it. It feels like we're just trying to slot in the coin and press the right buttons to get the stuff from God, as opposed to seeing prayer as a fellowship activity. It's about knowing God. It's about aligning our heart and our mind and our will with His. We read back through Colossians, it's about knowing God's will and being matured in it, fully assured. And so if you are aligning yourself with God's will and His ways and His promises by His Word and Spirit, prayer is then a thing of you agreeing with God and begging for Him to do what He has already promised to do what he delights to do. It becomes less about you pressing the buttons to get what you want and more about you devoting your heart that it might beat like his for the lost of the world and for the gospel to go out. Because here's a challenge for for prayer, right? What is it that Paul prays? There's, There's this moment where Paul says, and pray for us that God may open a door. At that moment, Paul is chained to a whopping great big Italian soldier. And I reckon as Paul says, pray that a door would be open, that Italian soldier probably freaked out. But it wasn't an open door that Paul would be released It wasn't an open door that Paul's character would be vindicated. It wasn't an open door that Paul might find some relief from being chained to a guard and stuck in a room pending his execution. You're in that situation, what do you pray? Lord, get me out of here. Paul's in that situation, what does he pray? Lord, send out the gospel because that's the only hope of the world it's a challenge isn't it for us to be growing in our heartbeat that it might beat in tune with God's and that even in circumstances that are unbearable we're praying more that God would change us than he would change our circumstances and more that he would promote his glory than he would promote our comfort and more that he would send out the gospel than he would vindicate our own reputations. Gary Miller, who's a good person to read about prayer, he says this, he says, If we want to grow and mature in prayer, we don't need to set a timer, we don't need to learn a new contemplative method, and we don't need to build a prayer closet in the woods, although that sounds pretty sick, right? A prayer closet in the woods. But you don't need to do that. What we do need 
is to become better askers. We need to realise that we're all walking disasters apart from God's grace. We're all men and women who need God every step of every day and we would make a shipwreck of our life and the lives of those around us if God did not graciously intervene. The Gospel yells at us, yes, you are weak, you're sinful, flawed and needy, but God is strong and He is gracious and He is good and He is ready to answer your prayer. Ask Him to do what He's already promised to do for you. Ask Him and keep praying until that day then you don't need to pray anymore from a distance because you will see your great promiser, provider and king face to face. Ask him. Be devoted to prayer, aligning your will with his in order that you might then be watchful in the world expecting that God's will is going to be done and his kingdom is going to keep coming. Watchful in the world, not fearful, not disconnected, not hiding, watchful, expecting that God is at work. Jesus said he will keep building his church and not even the gates of hell can prevail against it. Being watchful, paying attention, looking for the opportunities and being thankful. Read through Colossians and work out what's almost the number one thing that Paul says about Christian people and what the gospel of Jesus does to a person. If we did that as an exercise, I'm sure most of us would come up with, well, I guess they're thankful. Keep saying it over and over and over again. A Christian person is thankful knowing that everything they've received is of God's loving kindness. None of it's deserved, none of it's earned or achieved. How can Christian people not be thankful people? Having received everything by grace, all the riches of wisdom and knowledge, having been brought from death to life, how can we not be thankful? Paul says, and pray that the gospel would be proclaimed clearly as it should. I wonder if the content and the character of our prayers and thanksgiving coming out of our heart in words to God and in prayer for his people and his world, does it indicate that the greatest need for people in our world today is that they would know Jesus? Let's ask God to make it the case. Speak to God about people, secondly, or thirdly, or wherever we're up to. Speak to people about God. That's the gospeling people bit. Have a look at verse 5. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Wisdom is a wonderful thing, we're going to think about it a lot more later in the year, a whole bunch. It's Wisdom is much more an art than a science. Wisdom is nuanced as well as sensible. 
Wisdom is that skill of knowing that sometimes you should speak and sometimes you should shut up. That's wisdom. Wisdom is navigating life in such a way that you know which situation is which. Sometimes it's hard to know and get it right, which is why you need wisdom and why the Bible says you pray for that. You ask God for wisdom. It means navigating life with humility as well as knowledge, patience as well as care for people. Being wise in the way that we act towards outsiders, partly because we want, to know, we want them to know Jesus and we don't want to get in the way. We don't want them to go away thinking that Jesus is an idiot because I was an idiot. You know what I mean? So be wise in the way that you act, making the most of every opportunity, letting your conversation be full of grace. Again, right? The reason that you're thankful is that everything's come to you, forgiveness, life, hope, family, it's all come to you by grace. So your heart is full of grace. A heart that is full of grace will speak gracious words. Jesus said that it's out of the overflow of your heart that your mouth speaks. Whatever your heart is full of will kind of come out of you. Like if you're too full of hot dogs, hot dogs will come out of you especially on a roller coaster. Jesus says you want to be so full of grace that grace comes out of you in how you speak. Speaking conversations that are full of kindness and love. If you've heard this sermon before, you might remember the hot chip thing. The way I talk about it is you know how you've never eaten one hot chip? Because that's impossible. Has anyone ever eaten one hot chip? No, because you're people. You have to be subhuman to eat one hot chip and say, I'm done. Have you ever eaten too many hot chips? Of course not. There's never enough of them. And the reason that there's never enough and there's a reason that you can't eat one is because of the salt. And the picture here is that your conversations with people about Jesus want to be so full of grace and kindness and salt, the salt of Jesus' character and his person, that as people talk to you and they hear you and they hang around you, they start going... I think I want more. Wouldn't that be great? There are lots of things that in a, a complicated and suffering and chaotic and too overly connected world that we can feel like we need or we need to know before we can speak to people about Jesus. I can't answer all the questions. I feel worried that someone's going to yell at me or cancel me. I don't, I don't understand the different philosophies. 
I don't understand every objection. I haven't lived every experience. And I want to say, while there's a place to kind of keep growing in our ability to engage our world in that way, for 2,000 years, people have been becoming Christians as individuals simply love like Jesus and in a fumbly and bumbly way point other people to Him. Look at Him. Listen to Him. I'll give you the hot tip. Jesus looks after the rest. Don't worry about answering every question or knowing every philosophy or having every experience. Just point people to Jesus. This is uh, the essential Jesus. It's the Gospel of Luke. And uh, I love using this as a tool to kind of help people understand something of Jesus. Of getting out of the way and let Jesus do the work. He's pretty good at it. And here's what I want to say. Um, We have hundreds of these and they're for you and they're for you to take. And what I want everyone to do is to be clear and confident. So I want you to be clear that you yourself know what it means for Jesus to be Saviour and Lord and what it means for you to trust Him. I want you to be clear. But I also want you to be confident, confident to be able to say to someone, hey, I don't have all the answers, but I think Jesus is pretty great. Will you sit and read this with me? The way I do it is in four coffees. Read this with me in four coffees, my shout. It's really great. The first 20 pages, it's God announcing Jesus. Picture the Christmas narrative and God saying, this is the one, he's the king, the saviour. Listen to him. There's the next 20 pages is Jesus revealing himself to be that saviour. Think miracles and Jesus teaching. The next 20 pages is Jesus explaining what it means for him to be king. Think parables, the good Samaritan, the prodigal son, as Jesus walks to Jerusalem. And the final 20 pages is Jesus at the cross. Think the thief on the cross, the temple curtain being torn in two, the Roman centurion saying he was the son of God. Uh, If you want to have four coffees with me, tell me when and where. I'll bust my gut to do it. I'm hoping I get asked for 20 this week. Or have a crack. Take two, take four great old bloke at 10am who's a builder. He's always going to different people's homes. He keeps taking stacks of them because he just takes them with him, sticks them in his tool bag and as he chats to people while he's painting, fixing, standing on their roof, he's a talker and he ends up saying, here, we have one of these. That's what life's all about. Give it a crack. People are harassed and they are helpless and they're not harassed and helpless because you've talked to them about Jesus. They're harassed and helpless because they're lost, they're dying, they're hopeless without him. 
He's the only hope for the world. And we need to keep begging God to so fill us with his grace that we overflow with it in our conversations to people. We need to keep praying for those around us, 15 to 20,000 people. God, bring them to Jesus. And we need to keep busting our gut to let Jesus do the work of saving people. He loves to do it. So let's not get in his way. Let's partner together and keep gospeling people. Come talk to me. Ask me for a coffee. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much that you didn't leave us harassed and helpless. You didn't leave us lost and dead. That you've come to us in Jesus. You've given us life and hope. We didn't deserve it. You've forgiven our sins. You've given us a family. Jesus, you're everything. Please help our prayers, our words, our relationships, our conversations to reflect that truth. And may we do it with a truckload of grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.